what happened. <laughs> it's happened again. It's happened again. Um, a little outfit. A little outfit has transpired. Um, we thought we were safe. We thought we were safe. We, we said, didn't actually think we were safe. No. We didn't anticipate having to do a response episode to another, to another. little Gerard outfit. Yeah, we were like, we could probably cover this all Yeah, in one thing. Absolutely not. No, of course not. Um, in case you missed the news, Gerard Way has dressed like Joan of Arc in Mexico City with a big floor-length chainmail dress and little leather gloves and blood dripping from their mouth. It's Joan of Arc to a, to a T. It's mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. Welcome to Honey, This Podcast Isn't Big Enough for the Two of Us. Hey, yeah, this is a podcast. What's up? <laughs> Hi, welcome. We jumped right in. This is our podcast about gender, sexuality, and my chemical romance. Yes. And my name is Marin. My name's EJ. Well, how are you? Hey, first of all, how are you? How's it going? Um, I'm good. Great. I It's not been that long since our last episode. Correct, it's not. Not a ton has changed. I'm still enjoying the beautiful city that we both live in now. Hanging things up in yeah. the apartment. Yeah. We've been on a big frame kick recently. We, there's a frame sale at Michael's. <laughs> but there's a frame sale at Michael's and it has done devastating things yeah. to the cultures in, in these two households. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. all of our things are framed now, so. Yeah. If there's any background noise, it's my lovely partner making us pizza. So you literally contractually are not allowed to complain yeah so that's nothing don't yeah, worry about so that. don't worry about it um how are you what's up with you i'm good that's I, it i miss i yeah i think the same as last time yeah welcome to november Ooh, yeah weird month it's cold here it gets cold i know it's real just used to texas november which is simply not main november yes well it is it's pretty cold in texas at the moment oh um, it is you're Austin, totally right you said that it's like in the 40s but right? um, people have lied to me about what texas is about you know yeah and it's been me specifically is <laughs> correct you got a base did you talk about your base last time i did get a base i don't think i did mm-hmm. and it's i really got a cool. base it's a beautiful beautiful baby she's a stingray but not the not an er, not an ernie ball stingray mm-hmm. that would be crazy because those are very very expensive but i did get the like step down from the ernie ball stingray which is like pretty much based entirely on the stingray and here's the thing about it brian brian yes (laughs) brian um from the beach boys why would i know brian from the beach boys (laughs) you know him no he's the one who like does all of it he did a song with like um janelle monet very extremely talented man you, come on, everybody. Brian from the Beach Boys. He has played an Ernie Ball music man his entire life and has played the, the like, knockoff version, which is thousands of dollars cheaper and didn't notice a difference. That's the point that I'm trying to make here. This is great podcast material. <laughs> Brian Wilson! Oh, that's such a normie name. I personally am a Brian Wilson fan on this podcast, and you guys can fight me about it if you want. I can't remember his name, though. Well, I'm a fake fan. I didn't say it was a good one. <laughs> We're here. We're ready to talk about Joan of Arc. We are. Um, We've been prepping for this episode for a very long time. Yes. It's, it was like one of the initial things we were like, we got to talk mm-hmm. about Joan of Arc at some point. In fact, this was the episode that we had anticipated doing before the cheerleader episode. Yeah, correct. And then the entire North America tour happened. Yeah. And we were so distracted. Right. That, um, we didn't get to it. But now we have a substantial reason. Yeah. To talk about Joan of Arc. There's um, been a Joan of Arc happening. There's been an event. There's been an event. <laughs> there's been an event. Yeah. An event has transpired. Joan of Arc has a, a deep connection to MCR. MCR has a deep connection to Joan of Arc. <laughs> Joan, um, Joan might too. I don't know. Joan might too. I, uh, I wouldn't doubt it. But uh, we're going to go through not just the Joan of Arc event, um, but yes. also more deeply. Her life. Her lore. Her life, her lore, and then how she's been used. 
I used is a bad word. Connected to. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The way that she resonates with Gerard, I think, is yeah. is very consistently relevant. across his life. Yeah, yes. yeah. Let's get it going. Shall we get it going? Yeah. Hey, who's Joan of Arc? Oh, do you know her? I don't think I've met her before, but she may reside in Gerard Way. This is a great theory. <laughs> I don't know. Here's our main thesis for this episode, mm-hmm. I think. I'm saying it early. Mm-hmm. Gerard Way knew how Joan of Arc felt. Gerard Way knew how Joan of Arc felt. Knows. Currently. Knows currently. Knows currently knows how Joan still. of Arc felt. Yes. <laughs> Joan of Arc was a peasant in the 15th century. Yeah. Um, she was illiterate. She was 16-ish when she started to like receive visions of other saints. Mm-hmm. And they were telling her to turn the tide of the... Uh, hundred years war in the favor of the French and she did that and she appealed to royalty mm-hmm. as somebody who was just receiving visions who is a, a, a peasant who didn't really have a lot of standing to be able to do that yeah was successful all of the things that she had prophesied were true yeah um and came true yeah and this was a major like military event that she was able to help bring about a, a much needed victory so she started receiving visions mm-hmm. why did that become a problem great question yeah so this is all happening decades before protestantism is a thing and so france so catholic so at catholic. this time everyone's so catholic. so catholic everyone's so catholic um and what that why that matters for someone receiving visions is that that person has a direct line to the divine mm. and catholics do not like that because the whole idea of catholicism is that there's a hierarchy there are methods to reach that kind of communication and just average people attending church are going through a priest right. to be able to have communication with god so she had it herself yeah and the church did not like that but that wasn't an issue while she was fighting this war because she was right so the whole french army um right. and the french king charles at the time was behind her because she wanted him to win so yeah uh, plus she was like patriotic right yeah like, it was like a patriotic thing and they needed people to fight so like i mean yes there was like controversy but like it's not like she was like denouncing the crown like she was like fighting with them yeah, you know yeah exactly so yeah so if she was like f- actually fuck you guys the french fuck mm-hmm. you fuck you the french and this country and all of this and fuck the war she probably would have been killed way faster <laughs> So true. <laughs> right? So true. Like, and would not have ended up a saint. Correct. Yeah. She would not have. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reminds me a lot of, like, um, The Crucible. Say more about that. The Crucible is very much just, like, young women taking back power by realizing that they can, like, utilize their connection to, like, a spirit or something. Um, or, like, seeing visions mm-hmm. or whatever to just, like, fuck over. Not necessarily fuck over, but, like, reclaim power for themselves in yeah. a way that, like they wouldn't normally be allowed and like whatever whether Joan of Arc was doing that intentionally or not like Mm -hmm. that is what she was able to do totally and I think that's one of the ways that like her narrative as she is sainted gets used totally that she is this um she's a patriotic figure she's a figure for women to admire um she's a particular role that people can aspire to right in a particular way She's a girl boss. Um, she's a girl <laughs> boss. Girl boss Joan. <laughs> Disgusting. Absolutely. Disgusting. Yeah. So yeah, that's one interpretation right. of Joan of Arc for sure. Yeah. So the church hated it. The church hated it. After she became not useful anymore, mm-hmm. the church hated it. Yep. So she was, I'm just reciting the encyclopedia. No, it's good. Article. It's good. It's good. Um, people need to know. Yes. The people need to know. So she fought for this king for a while. I don't know what the period of time was, but she first had contact with that king when she was 16. 
and then died when she was 19. Yeah. So okay. that's a pretty significant that is a, yeah. chunk of her Wars life. are long. Wars are long. It was a hundred years war, so like, <laughs> that years. was happening. For, it's been happening for a <laughs> it's while. It's been happening for a while. Yeah. She gets captured in the war okay. by, I believe, the English. Yeah, yeah, the British. Who then yeah. trade her off to the church yep. so that the church can judge her. And the church says, excellent. Yep. We're going to go to town on this. Time for us to fuck you over. Yeah. 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 So she is interrogated. She's questioned. Yeah. Um, she's made to, like, sign documents that she can't read. Uh, her faith is is tested. And yep. she's given a lot of, like, trick questions that she answers pretty well. But they eventually determine that she's a heretic. Mm-hmm. She is um, in violation of a lot of norms and rules. But heresy is the biggest one. And people get burned at the stake for heresy. I was actually, this is an aside, but I was looking up, like, historically burning at the stake and what that's used for. Disproportionately women get burned at the stake. Correct, yeah. And that is usually connected to modesty. That otherwise, like, disemboweling someone is, uh, their insides are everywhere. And that's immodest for a woman, for her guts to be out. Oh, God. Um... Yeah, that's horrifying. Isn't that horrifying? That's horrifying. Because I also, I read, and I don't know whether this is true or not, but I read somewhere in some of the research I was doing, that they, like, took off her clothes as she was, like, mm-hmm. being burned at the stake. Oh, wow. Because they wanted to prove she was a woman. Oh, my God. So, like, it's crazy to me to be like, this is about, like, mm-hmm. modesty. Modesty when <laughs> yeah. they, yeah. that was not uh, right. the forefront of their, right. yeah, 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 totally, when there's, I guess... That's typically used for women. Right. You've got someone who's a little indeterminate. Right. No, exactly. What do you exactly. Do in that totally. And then I want to say like 20 or 30 years after that, her trial is revisited. And a lot of it, they, the church goes back on it mm-hmm. and says, actually, she was faithful. Yeah. She was faithful to the last minute. Um, we shouldn't have done this. This was a mistake. And then 600 years pass. Okay. And then she is sainted. Yeah, I didn't realize that she wasn't sainted until, mm-hmm. like, what, the early 20th century? 1920. I don't know what Why? the turnaround usually is on that. <laughs> that's a really long time. The sainting time. turnaround? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, also, why at that time? It is probably very helpful to have a strong nationalist figure when there's war in Europe. World War One had just wrapped up. Having a strong woman nationalist figure. Yeah. Um, someone who fights for their country. Right. Um, and can be narrated in that way would probably be very important. Uh-huh. In the early 20s. And then also plague. Yeah, we were talking about mm-hmm. this. How, like, it's really interesting. I feel like recently Joan of Arc has become kind of a more interesting figure to, like, I mean, queer folks especially, and we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting watching people pull specific figures like this in times of, like, national turmoil. And, like, one of those is war. And one of those mm-hmm. is literally the Spanish, like, the flu pandemic. The yeah. Spanish flu pandemic was started in the 1918 and went for a while. Yeah. And killed lots and lots of people so it makes a lot of sense so it's interesting that we're Mm -hmm. like now in the the same kind of weird national turmoil Mm -hmm. or like i mean international turmoil that these figures become relevant yeah right by by whether it's uh, the church is a governing body or the government is a governing body yeah these figures emerge yeah and there have been many media depictions of her life yeah there's been lots of media depictions of her Mm -hmm. i haven't done a lot of analysis of this i wanted to but i haven't Mm -hmm. really actually but we watched we watched the, the passion. passion of Joan of Arc. Yes, which is a silent movie from the twenties. Yeah, I so believe it's around right the time about she was when she was sainted, canonized. Yeah. canonized. Yeah, yeah, just dramatizing specifically the trial right. and the burning. Right, and she's an extremely sympathetic figure. Yes, and there are lots of I've seen a lot of like Tumblr posts comparing her expressions in that film to Gerard in Famous Last Words, which is not an unfounded comparison. Yeah, because we know. 
because we know because Jordan said that while writing the Black Parade and the Paramore, they would just put the Passion of Joan of Arc on silent on repeat and just watch mm-hmm. it over and over and over again. So there are th- we know there are themes. We know there are themes of yeah. martyrdom and especially with Gerard having cut his hair off and bleached it. It's very reminiscent to what gets what happens to Joan in that movie. She gets Absolutely. her hair cut off. It makes a lot of sense that Gerard felt or was directly drawing comparisons to her. Yeah. Throughout mm-hmm. that time. Yeah. yeah. Was inspired by her intentionally emulating her. Yeah. That's that's the transition now to talk about yeah. um, how Joan influenced Gerard and MCR broadly. So yeah, the famous Last Words music video is obviously a huge one. Should we? So why does Gerard Way know how Joan of Arc felt? It's really notable that Gerard started like focusing, I mean, and maybe he had been focusing on Joan of Arc before this, but the times that we know that he started really focusing and like fixating on Joan of Arc is when he's in the Paramore, when he's having these crazy dreams of his family and friends burning, of like Mm -hmm. people dying, these like visions, whatever. And also at a time where the band felt really persecuted, I think, Mm -hmm. right? Where they felt like they were like standing for something that was being like... stomped on where Gerard was being made to be the front of a scene or be the front of something Mm -hmm. that they weren't necessarily fully behind yeah right so it like makes a lot of sense that they would fixate on a figure like Joan Mm -hmm. who stands for something huge yeah um who has this massive institution that she's part of right that is also the institution that killed her right exactly right and right. that absorbs her yeah that like chews her up and just mm-hmm. and then uses her mm-hmm. later absolutely i think the way that gerard connects to the industry just feeling absolutely used by right like, your your the message gets eaten up like that what's the quote people don't want a rock star to, to uh, love they pe- want a rock star to kill i think that gerard was feeling a little burned at the stake oh a little like they could be burned yeah. at the stake any day now and that would just continue with the black mm-hmm. parade like a self-fulfilling fucking prophecy absolutely it just gets worse yeah yeah i'm thinking about that quote yeah it also makes me think of i told you this earlier but the jeff rickley quote where he's yeah. talking about when thursday was in a plane crash the um record representative had said something like oh it's a shame that you weren't killed because you would be huge yeah but it's that mentality that has no actual care for the real artists but for right. the legacy and for what you can capitalize on gerard talks about legacy from the very beginning from yes. bullets but like we especially hear it in like life on the murder scene when like talking about like their alcoholism and stuff and how like it would become a vh1 behind the music like then something went wrong they became the front of the scene so fast positioned as the front of the scene and they felt that happening and pushed back against it the entire time right they became this weird tragic figure at the time i think right where it's like gerard way is fucked up gerard way is like Mm -hmm. could this could this be the downfall of the band and obviously we know that it was not but there was that feeling there of being this like tragic mm-hmm. which like Joan of Arc is a tragic figure like is positioned as a tragic figure in a lot of media yeah. somebody who was killed too young and senselessly and like I think that that was a theme that got thrown around about Gerard a oh, lot yeah. at that uh-huh. time uh-huh. so it makes a lot of sense that he was connecting to it then and then continued to connect continued to with connect. her so there's a very famous um, interview that Gerard did. Oh, yeah. And uh, then in more silly ways. In more silly ways. Should we just read this whole thing or do you want the, the I bullet guess we points? Should. We could, yeah. Let's read it. Okay. So Gerard's asked the question, how do you like to spend downtime on tour? <laughs> and they respond with, I write my comic book, which is amazingly fun. And I want to do serious paintings of Joan of Arc and squids. Joan of Arc is my favorite historical, legendary, whatever figure. Number one, it's a boyish, wavish girl in a suit of armor on a white horse, and that's badass. 
I have always been attracted to that character because it was someone who was willing to die for what they believed in. And they were probably fucking crazy and like touched in, uh, touched by the hand of God. And I believe in that shit. I totally believe in that stuff. I believe it can happen to anybody. And then they say, like when we started this band, there was a brief amount of time where it felt like you drank gasoline and shit glass and you were always covered in your own sweat, somebody else's spit or blood or something. And I felt that, you know what I mean? I would make crazy speeches that made no sense on stage. I would talk about purifying flames being shot out of our cabinets at max volume to destroy evil and shit like that. I was, you know, touched in the head. And really, when you get touched in the head like that, I think your job at that point for the rest of your career is to remember what it was like to be touched in the head and kind of keep that going. Because that can't last forever. You'll be dead, I think. Like Joan of Arc. So, yeah, I love Joan of Arc and squids. Honestly, the shapes and disgustingness of them, the suckers, the fact that they're in the ocean. I'm a huge Hellboy fan, so I draw lots of squids. literally the most insane answer to a very chill question to a very chill question they really went off and like this is a it's a it's an interview with like six questions in it right and everything else is like three lines long and And then they just got on a real rant about Joan of Arc they and I'm so glad it got published yeah Um, and like let's talk about this because I feel like um there's a lot going on there's a lot going on Mm -hmm. yeah I mean the first thing that they say that Joan of Arc is a boyish waifish girl in a Mm -hmm. suit of armor they like the gender. They like the gender. They and like we'll get gender. into the gender. Yes. We're about to get into the Put gender. Put a pin in the gender. We'll get to the gender. We're about to get into there. But also that it's someone who was willing to die for what they believed in. Mm-hmm. And they were probably fucking crazy and touched in the head. Mm-hmm. That commitment, right? Like, Gerard has always had that commitment to the band and, like, talked about it in that way mm-hmm. from the time that they started the band. Yeah. And, like, has actually experienced the same kind of seeing vision of seeing things of yeah seeing things of feeling like they had this m- massive mission yeah that they needed to fulfill that's the thing is like jarway believes that maybe they've been touched by god a little bit yeah 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 they do yeah and i believe them i believe them i'm listening i, I take them 100 percent seriously <laughs> yeah. because you know what we don't we don't have people that are publicly experiencing this today mm-hmm. you know like we don't have these same like, kind of claims to divine contact. But I believe Gerard Way does experience this, has experienced this. Yeah, and has a direct connection to God. Yeah, there you, a, direct, a direct one. Yeah. Okay, yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> Is that your pitch? And that's that. Is that your canonization pitch? <laughs> Hello, Pope Francis. <laughs> I'm writing I, you today to inform you. <laughs> to get, I'd like for you to get real chill about a lot of stuff really fast. Yeah. Um... Purifying flame. Purifying flame. Gerard Absolutely. loves to talk about purifying flame. Obviously, there's a lot in Black Parade. There's a lot. I think there's some before that as well, or am I making that up? I there think is. the earliest occurrence is Bury Me in Black. Yeah. I think lipstick, it is. Lipstick, blood, and purifying flame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right, so the connection to, like, the feminine with flame mm-hmm. and burning. Absolutely. A lot. This is a historical yeah. way that women specifically were publicly punished. Black Parade. Yeah. We've got House of Wolves. Yeah. Where there's a lot of burning, burning in hell. Not Correct. purifying flame, word for word, but... It's but, like, same, similar. A lot deal. of fiery, hellfire... Right. ...images. Mama. Yeah. Same situation. Same situation. Mama is very Joan of Arc-y overall. Correct. Um, both in the gender of it and the hellfire war imagery. Right. Like, Mama especially is such a Joan of Arc song. Mm-hmm. I was remarking this to you the other day. Because, yeah. like, it really is, like... Mother, what's the word into my legs, into my tongue? You should have raised a baby girl. I should have been a better son. Like, there's a lot in there about, like, fighting in a war and experiencing being in a body that you're not supposed to be in to yes. fight there. Which is kind yeah. of exactly Joan. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
Completely. Yeah. And a very common trans experience. And a very common trans experience. <laughs> Correct. Other examples in Mama of burning. We're damned after yeah. all through fortune and flame we fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess it is in this case... Not redemptive. Not redemptive. It's no. not purifying, I no, guess. it's not purifying. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, burning in MCR is like either hellfire or purifying. Mm, purifying. You know? Which is a stark contrast when you think it about it. I was thinking earlier about, um, or was reading a while ago about purifying flame in like a religious context. Like, yeah. In a biblical context. Yeah. And how it is like a it's something that exists in purgatory. A person dies and their soul is in purgatory as it is cleansed to mm. be delivered to heaven. And that cleansing process... Is through flame. Is through flame. Wow. That it burns away the sin and then the soul is left. Oh, mm-hmm. whoa. Okay, yeah. that's crazy. So those are people who like have been baptized and have repented but have still sinned. So would experience that. Whereas when yeah. if you don't repent, then that's when you oh. you just completely disintegrate body and soul. Whoa. Or are punished with help. Or are punished. Eternity. So you're burned either way. Mm-hmm. But one's redemptive. Yeah. Can you tell I grew up around evangelical? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I fucking can. <laughs> so either way, you're fucking burned, though. Unless you're completely pure. But, like, I don't really think anyone is. Right. Because uh, you're constantly trying to repent mm-hmm. from everything. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the point of religion, yeah. right? Is, yeah. like, you kind of can't be without sin. Mm-hmm. Okay, and so we, we play. See, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And I think both of those verbs exist yeah. in the songs. Yeah. And I mean, maybe this feeds into like the cyclical kinds of dying right. that MCR plays with a lot. That it is both something that opens you up for something new and also has to involve an ending mm-hmm. of some sort, mm-hmm. a death of some mm-hmm. sort. So continuing in Black Parade, mm-hmm. Mama, and then we wrote Sleep as well. What? Seeing visions, I think, is a major Joan connection there. Seeing visions and seeing visions of people burning. burning. Yeah, I see flames. Mm-hmm. And continuing through the Black Parade, mm-hmm. that the final song in the Black Parade is a music video where they burn everything. They burn everything. They catch Bob Breyer on fire. He's redeemed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Or sent straight down to hell. <laughs> and you can decide which. And you can decide which. We'll um, leave that open for We'll leave that open. Um, um, they burn the, I think it's the original set. Yes. For the, the Welcome to the Black Parade Correct. music video. Yeah, they burn the it. same pieces they burn the next day. Yep. Like, is it a hellfire or is it a redemption right because the whole point like the theme of famous last words is a redemption Mm -hmm. like i'm not afraid to keep going i can keep going yeah i am who i am now and i'm something beyond that Mm -hmm. right is like kind of the famous last words thing and so the burning is like it's cleansing Mm -hmm. right it's purifying flame i think so but i think there's also some indeterminacy there definitely is i think there's i think because with the broader conceptual narrative of the patient in Black Parade, it's yeah. never quite clear if this person dies from cancer or not. It's never, and I, I think that that is held open with, like, what kind of fire, what kind of burning are we experiencing? Yeah. In Famous Last Words. Right. Are you going to hell or are you not? Yeah. I don't know whether thematically in the Black Parade, like, I don't know whether the patient as a person, as, like a, as a character, is experiencing purifying flame and going to heaven. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether mm-hmm. that's something that's happening. Mm-hmm. But I think... The band is experiencing purifying flame. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? I do know what that you're as an act, they are experiencing like they are using fire as a purifying element mm-hmm. for themselves. For themselves, I think, right? To end something, to begin something new. Yeah, an afterlife. Yeah, an afterlife. Fuck me. Like the move past yeah. some kind of inevitable sin. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or damnation. Or damnation. Mm-hmm. Or maybe both. Or maybe both. 
Both are there. Yeah. Both are both are presented as real options. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then, so it's mostly in the Black Parade that it's we see this, and then we see it occasionally in Danger Days mm-hmm. too. I think only mm-hmm. once, maybe. Yeah. Only in, in, in Only Hope. Only Hope. And since then, we saw this at the literal show that he was at, where Gerard was like, "You look like souls burning." Oh yeah. Which is maybe more of a hellfire invocation, but Gerard loves to talk about burning and burning in hell and not in hell and purifying. Mm-hmm. I don't know throughout the whole band yeah and now today and now today yeah as well yeah if we're talking about broader joan references and not just flame i would also like to nominate uh-huh. desert song okay yeah um, yeah tell me more about that we hold our hearts with sword in the faith but there's a mission behind it a god-given mission yeah. especially all of the like joan images are shown of her holding a sword. a sword that was another thing that i was reading on the encyclopedia britannica article okay was that she there was a question of what kind of weapon she would use in battle yeah. And she said, you will find my sword in the Church of St. Catherine or whatever it was. And then somebody went out and found it. Yep, there was a sword in that church. She called it. And that was her sword in battle. So that feels Joan-y to No, me. that is Joan-y. Um, and then foundations take this body as a relic to be canonized. Take this body as a relic to be canonized. Yep. And so she gets, she gets to, to die, die a saint. saint. Or no, he gets, he gets to, to die a saint. <laughs> we said she gets to die. She does not. No. Um. Because she will always be a whore. She'll always be a whore. I don't know. I feel like Joan's purity is referenced or is something... I mean, I don't know if she is a whore. No, I don't think she is. Right? So this does get a little bit into some gender stuff, Some though, gender stuff. Actually. Gender if we wanna, our podcast. <laughs> if we want to get into that, mm-hmm. is now the time? I think now's the time. Okay. I was reading a little bit about specifically interpretations of Joan of Arc in terms of gender. And something I didn't realize, one of the main reasons why Joan of Arc is killed is because she signs some documents that she doesn't know what they say Mm -hmm. and the main thing one of the main things that they say is that she will no longer wear men's clothes Mm -hmm. and she is given men's clothes Mm -hmm. by the people who have like kidnapped her and wears them Mm -hmm. and they use that as the main reason to kill her Mm -hmm. i think it's also important to mention just to backtrack on what i was saying earlier yeah with like the overview yeah is that she went to war dressed as a man correct she cut her hair off she went to war dressed as she was dressed as a soldier Mm -hmm. as a soldier as a soldier yeah so one of the agreements was that she would no longer do that right Mm -hmm. and she does the thing about this time period is that there were people who were considered like holy transvestites Mm. so they're say more about this yes I learned about this earlier today and it was insane. Fill me in. And it's very relevant. There were like women who devoted their lives to become monks Mm. and, you know, quote unquote, quote women, people who were considered to be women who devoted their lives to become monks, which was a men's profession. Mm -hmm. Um, But they like fully disguised themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially a purity and virginity thing. Right? Mm-hmm. They're devoting themselves to the faith in a men's profession in order to be a virgin for their lives, mm-hmm. in order to be pure, etc. And the main reason that people took issue with Joan's cross-dressing was because she continued to have things that signified her as a woman, mm. as a quote-unquote woman, like feminine attributes. Mm-hmm. So the problem wasn't that she was cross-dressing inherently, it was that she was gender non-conforming. Whoa. It was that they could tell they could tell what she quote unquote truly was mm-hmm. or like could point to things that yeah. were feminine but also masculine. They couldn't place her. Mm-hmm. And that's what was frightening to them is not that she was like a woman who's cross-dressing, but because Joan is a true androgynous figure. Yeah. 
yeah. it's indeterminacy that's it's the threat. Right, right. Not just being trans. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool as fuck. Isn't that really yeah. rad? Yeah. yeah. I know. I had, like, no idea. But. Yeah. This also makes me think about, like, structure in the Catholic Church and heresy and why that was such a significant yeah. crime for her to commit. Right. Oh, no, I already talked about how, like, Catholicism relies on structured access to God. Right. Rather than direct access to God, which Correct. is something that Protestantism will later go to popularize. Right. The Catholic Church really relies on hierarchy. Yeah. And really relies on that organization. This made me think about Mary Douglas, who's an anthropologist, mm-hmm. who writes, uh, who has written a very famous book called Purity and Danger. Um, but she also wrote a lot about the Catholic Church. Um, yeah. Mary Douglas was Catholic. And um, used a lot of, like, very early Bible stuff as her fieldwork. Yeah, and, like, read Leviticus as a way to talk about, like, ancient Hebrew society. That's really cool. And how people formed values and meaning. Right, which makes sense because it's context. a story. Like, it's, it's a story. A story. And yeah. it reveals what those people's values were. So she writes about that kind of thing, but she's also got some other texts about, like, her own beliefs about Catholicism. And Mary Douglas is not usually, like, lauded as, like, a feminist figure. She's just <laughs> a, a woman who's good at anthropology. Yeah. But um, strongly believed that women should not be in the clergy. Okay. Because it threatens the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. And Whoa. the Catholic Church is a millennia-old institution and has been able to function as such because it has such a strong hierarchical organization. Uh-huh. And when you start to break that apart, you devalue the way that it's been able to persist for that long. And right. she believes that that hierarchy, that structure, that organization is necessary for a society to survive. Whoa, that's crazy. And, like, you can't knock her for that because the Catholic Church has done that. Right. You know? Like, I don't... Like, I guess I I don't get a say in what happens in the Catholic Church, but, like... No, but, like, you don't see the Catholic Church failing anytime soon in spite of however many... Horrible things. Horrible things they've done and controversies they've... Whatever. Uh Like, any criticism they're immune Mm -hmm. to. So, to connect that to gender... Right. And to the indeterminacy that you're talking about... Yeah. That kind of indeterminacy similarly threatens the kind of, like, role indeterminacy that Mary Douglas was against. Yeah. Like, women shouldn't join the clergy... Because they have distinct roles within the church. Right. Being an indeterminate figure, especially yeah. one who claims to have direct access to God, yeah. is dangerous to the hierarchy of the church and its survival. The gender sure. element is also active in the heresy element. No, it is. Yeah, it and I mean, right, like Joan specifically defended herself as like, I was told by God to dress this way. Mm-hmm. I was told by God to behave this way and dress mm-hmm. this way. So to like, be a soldier. To be a soldier. To take that role. Yeah. Right. And so in order to do that, I have to be mm-hmm. not a woman. She became a totally indeterminate figure. And I think that that's ultimately why she was killed. Like, that's right. the reason they used to kill her. So Gerardway referring to Joan of Arc with they pronouns in this, yes. in this interview from 2008. Mm-hmm. They were onto something there. And it. And it. Yeah. As it and they. Very, very non-gendered terms. Correct. Mm-hmm. Which I think tells us a little bit about how Gerard mm-hmm. thinks of Joan of Arc as a figure, right? Yeah. A boyish, waifish girl, mm-hmm. but no gendered pronouns. Yeah. But they connect to that indeterminacy. They see that indeterminacy. And yeah. That's a big part of it. I mean, we can say we see Gerard connecting to Joan of Arc on a new level in this tour. Yeah, Gerard has never before, we've, and we talked about this in the cheerleading episode, but never before been comfortable enough to intentionally wear dresses and skirts mm-hmm. and feminine, quote unquote, feminine clothes mm-hmm. 
before yeah. until now. Yeah. And we don't have any context for that yet. Right. I really hope we get context. I hope we get some more. The documentary. But yeah, we don't know what that means to them right. yet, but we can read through other things that they have talked about and specifically having one of the feminine figures that they have dressed as be Joan of Arc ties us back around in a big fucking loop. Right. Um, to take yeah. everything that they have said about this indeterminately gendered figure and read their identification with them. Correct. And we were talking a lot about, the other day, about how the women that they often dress as mm-hmm. are, like, tragic figures, right? Mm-hmm. So Joan is one of them, but Jackie O. Lady Die. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a Manson girl, A Manson I guess. girl? Yeah. But there's something there, there's right? Something about there. being touched by some higher power mm-hmm. and corrupted. Mm-hmm. There's also a media vision. Right. I think, I mean, like... It's... No, the, the media is vision. Is that the big connection? The media... Like, the, the media scrutiny on feminine figures? Because that ties the Manson girl in. No, because you're right. Because, like, the Manson girl, to me, is the most crucible of all. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? They're, like, but they're also crazy women young women. But believed something so strongly. Yeah. This is another layer to the Joan of Arc thing, like... There wasn't a media in the same way that any of these other female figures right. experienced media, but there was church and there was public torture, right? right. Like there's people knew shit. You burn someone at the stake for people to see. Yeah, that it's is a performance. important. It is it is a performance, and it is to teach everybody else what is not allowed. Right, and that's Foucault writes some cool stuff about that. Yeah, that <laughs> that was a like a pre modern way of like doing discipline and punishment. Uh huh. That it becomes more biopolitical later. Whatever. But the media takes on that role in a way, yeah. right? No, it does. Ugh. Yeah, no, these are women who have been punished. Correct. Yeah. For what? It varies. Yeah. But usually for some kind of belief, for some kind of devotion. Something that I, I mentioned, and I don't quite know if this is formed for me yet, so mm-hmm. cut me off. Riff, go for it. I mentioned this to you before, too, that I think Gerard is often, as a performer, referred to in feminine terms when other performers are not. Mm-hmm. When other front people are not. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Other front, quote-unquote, front men in the scene are not referred to as experiencing histrionics. Yeah. Are not referred to as hysterical. And Gerard gets that all the time. He gets, like, medieval woman disease. He does get medieval woman disease. They, like, give him, they, like, diagnose him with, like, wandering uterus syndrome <laughs> on stage. It's, like, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's really, and it's really interesting. And, I mean, they're picking up on something mm-hmm. there, right? They're picking up on the gender nonconformity that they display all the time. Mm-hmm. But they're also, like... I think specifically picking up on the way they position themselves mm-hmm. as a feminine figure, right? Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily femininity in a way to like be sexy or powerful, although I think that those are two ways that they use it, mm-hmm. but it's feminine as madness. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's feminine as tragedy. As tragedy and desperation. Yes. It is a it is a, a a deep expression of feeling. Is something that gets, I don't know, chewed up and spit out. Right. Well it's I think I think it's the way they display their feelings like reminds me of like like horror horror like scream queens. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It reminds me of squeam of squeam. Of squeam queen. <laughs> when you're squeamish. <laughs> It reminds me of, like, scream queens. Like, I don't know. Like, women who are having this immense outpouring of emotion to the point where it's considered spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. It's ecstatic. Mm-hmm. It's ecstatic tradition. Yeah. It is ecsta- they're experiencing ecstasy on stage. Absolutely. Yeah. 
the amount, like, I mean, that's how a lot of, again, a lot of women gained power in that, in the crucible, for example. In any of these times, like, women talking about starving themselves for God and, like, experiencing these, like, orgasmic, like, elation Mm -hmm. when in the presence of God and claiming that that is what God does for them, right? Mm -hmm. The ecstasy of St. Teresa she looks like she's, that girl's coming. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah that girl's coming. <laughs> that girl's coming. <laughs> it's just the immensity of it. And I think that that's something that they bring on stage. Yeah. This like religious outpouring of um, emotion and sensuality and sexuality and, and sincerity and sincerity and devotion. And devotion. Like- yeah. But you also see, like, I mean, I've made this comparison before. You see images of Frank and Gerard on stage together, and you're like, that's an ecstasy. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. ecstatic tradition. Mm-hmm. It's the ecstasy of St. Teresa. It's the ecstasy. <laughs> the number of times that I've seen those images next to each It's the ecstasy other. of St. Teresa. That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I really do think it connects to, like, the broader, I mean this forever. Like, yeah. I mean this. Right. I am sincere. I mean right. this. Everything that you are seeing, I am feeling. Right. And I'm putting this out. Like, you don't see that from other... Right. And it's also, I think, in Gerard's mind, inherently feminine. I think it's feminine yeah. to them. I think they to connect... Express. Right. Yeah. The way that they have always talked about expressing themselves is through femininity mm-hmm. and through, like, not through, like, not through masculinity, mm-hmm. through femininity. Femininity has been, like, a true, like, expression agent for them. MCR combines such an interesting expression of, if I'm thinking of bringing masculinity and femininity and their stereotypical whatever to their highest points, yeah. there's this massive outpouring of emotion and a massive outpouring of violence. Right. To hold those things next to each other, MCR does that beautifully totally which is i think what i'm feeling with the screen queens thing yeah right yeah yeah where it's like women who are either women who are either experiencing violence immense violence or who are violent gerard Way loves a violent woman gerard Way loves a violent woman and it's the masculinity and the femininity mm-hmm. right it's it's being the fact- carried to these incredibly extremes high yeah. yeah yeah it's the extremes of all of it mm-hmm. that we see gerard connecting to and we see the band connecting to yeah. right they're doing football drag on stage mm-hmm. they're like yeah i'm butch yeah. right yeah oh my god i'm so I'm butch so right butch. now i'm so I'm butch right so now butch. what if i like kissed you a little you know <laughs> yeah like it's combining those elements right but yeah and we're back to camp and we're back to camp and they're being burned at the stake for it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. They're being fucking bottled. They're being torn apart for for never being the thing that they're supposed to be. Right. For being non-conforming mm-hmm. specifically. Mm-hmm. Not just Gerard, but Gerard specifically, but then also the band as the a band whole. As a whole. Yeah. Like the reason that they're being, I mean, now canonized as rock gods, but also destroyed is because of that non-conformity. It, they weren't doing aggression in the way that they were supposed to. The, the aggression's feminine now. The aggression's, aggression's kind of, feminine. the aggression's kind of like sick and weird. We're not used yeah, to that. And we don't understand that. Yeah, we just want to beat each other up and it's not homoerotic at all. The pit? Homoerotic? Not at Couldn't all. Couldn't be. Couldn't be. Couldn't <laughs> be. It feels like they're pointing something out that's been there the whole time, right? They're being like, yeah, you guys fighting each other is actually kind of like horny. <laughs> it's a little horny that you're doing that, but it's like really... Okay, great. So should we talk about martyrdom? Let's do martyrdom first. Okay. I mean, I guess we talked a little bit earlier about how Joan as a figure gets canonized so far after her her death. Right. The, the figure that we know as Joan is mythical. Right? Totally. We don't know we don't know this person at right. all. Right. Right. Um and everything that we know about her can be 
has been narrated through a bunch of different channels. Her sainthood is a kind of memorialization that's outside of her. It is. Um, That's not necessarily martyrdom, but it is legacy and how martyrs and saints get utilized by institutions after their deaths, right? Take his body as a relic. The term gets thrown around that Gerard is a martyr complex all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, like, I think that that's true. I think that Gerard has consistently aligned themselves with with dying for something with, with dying for something mm-hmm. with dying for a cause which is mm-hmm. inherently what martyrdom is but yeah. yeah if we look at like the current way that they interact with that mm-hmm. through like foundations take his body as a relic mm-hmm. to be canonized yeah there's something there about like not having consent in what you're being framed as it's the kurt cobainization it is of, of dead rock stars yeah right? it's the 27 club yeah, it's the 27 Club. Right. It's, it is these people who kill themselves and then become immensely famous. Right. Right? And you take this incredibly dark moment in a person's life. Yeah. And that that is what catapults them. And it's completely outside of their control. Right. It's narrated by the label. It's narrated by people who want to continue to sell records after somebody's dead. Yeah. It's mobilized. It's, it's, it's marketable. And Gerard does that. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. Gerard knows Clearly. that. Clearly. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're doing in Foundations is connecting that contemporary media rock star suicide frenzy. Yeah. To the 15th century. Yeah, they literally to are. To the 15th century and to the way that saints are created. Ooh. Like, it's the same fucking thing. Yeah. It's the same thing. Mm, I want to connect it to relics, but I don't have a... Say more about relics. Relics. So relics are body parts of saints. They are body parts of saints that reside in particular churches. We'll talk about the relics that they have. Right, like they the have fingers. They have a the finger of a saint. Finger of Saint Teresa, or like the earlobe of Saint Catherine. <laughs> like gross. <laughs> okay, a disgusting, a but gross guys. <laughs> but that like there's a material connection that you can have by ripping somebody's body apart. And having little pieces of it to carry with you through eternity. That's what a relic is. It's not just an old piece of whatever. It is a part of someone's body who is narrated and re-narrated through hundreds of years. And who has been thousands of and years. And who has been torn apart. Who has been literally physically torn apart. So we might understand why Gerard Way has a connection to this um, <laughs> format. <laughs> Gerard's like, you have all of my fingers. Yeah. Can you leave me alone now, please? Connects back to, like, I don't know, we talked about how Foundations is, like, a you do this now, right? Mm -hmm. Like a... I'm not dying for this anymore. You must fix your heart and you must build an altar where it swells. Mm -hmm. You can't worship at my fucking altar anymore, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like... Mm. I won't be your saint. Yeah, I'm not your saint. Like, I think Gerard connects himself often to both the saint and the whore figure, right? We Mm -hmm. talked about this. Mm -hmm. That's part of the connection to Joan of Arc is being a saint and also un- unholy in some mm-hmm, way, right? Mm-hmm. Dirty in some way. Yeah. Indeterminate, dirty, yeah. whatever. And that you're then used for those things, for like all of those things in a way that you can't really determine. Yeah. And I think this connects to a lot of things that we said in our legacy episode about yeah. how your legacy is outside of your control. It's outside you of your control. You can try and shape it as much as you want when you're alive. But right. it is, especially when you are on such a platform. Yeah. The people that you hate might control that. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they might have for Joan. And Gerard doesn't want to live that way. Isn't going to. Isn't going. It's not, it's going, not to. going to. It's not going to. Um, Satanic panic. Yeah. I forget when we wrote this outline originally, how we got from martyr complex to satanic panic. I mean, often martyrs are dying for a cause. Mm-hmm. 
but often that cause is something that has been persecuted. Oh, yeah. It's mm-hmm. about persecution. That's why they died. Yeah, right. It's somebody about, killed them. It's about persecution, mm-hmm. right? I think persecution is always tied to martyrdom, usually, mm-hmm. right? You believe something that is often unpopular by some mm-hmm. other standard, and you die for it. Mm-hmm. You would kill and you would die for it. Mm-hmm. In terms of persecution and in terms of religious persecution, mm-hmm. we see that a lot in media in the last 50 years especially. People who think that they're persecuted. People who think that they're persecuted mm-hmm. and then people who are actually persecuting people. Right. In a, re- like, in a religious sense, mm-hmm. right? The church mm-hmm. actively persecuting people. Right. So like, that's where we get to satanic panic. That's where we get to satanic panic is, yeah. Is yeah. Nancy Reagan conservative moral majority Mm -hmm. shit of people being like of people being like metallica please come judas priest please come testify in court yeah as to how Uh you are not corrupting the children which is something that really happened yeah that's very interesting connection of church and state right right because a critical context for the joan of arc thing is that the church and the state are not separate at all right that they are the same thing that the church is running the judicial system that kills joan of arc um and we allegedly live in a nation where we're supposed to have a separation of church and state but time and again um, it is demonstrated to us that we do not. Right. Um, exactly. And that 80s satanic panic yeah. is very much that. It is. Is very much that. Um, politically, if who is to determine what is a threat to our children. And it's blah, about, blah, blah. it's, again, it's about nonconformity. Yeah. So, like, a lot of the... Also, people don't understand art. People don't understand people art. People don't know what art people, is. People don't, people don't understand <laughs> art. People look at stuff that is frightening to them right uh, specifically in in this case in the like moral majority moral panic of this time it was metal music specifically uh-huh. it was metal music we know this from stranger things in a very watered down boring sense mm-hmm. but one of the main reasons why a lot of these bands were scary to people is because a either they had content that was considered horrific in some way right it was Mm -hmm. like um violence or sex or etc or they were Mm non-conforming so it was men who were wearing skin tight clothing and had long hair Mm -hmm. and makeup one of the bands that were often targeted was wasp and they Mm -hmm. i mean they're a glam they're a glam metal band so they're Mm -hmm. like basically in drag but also like like, yeah the glam to metal continuum is it's very interesting yeah it's interesting i mean I learned very recently that the people who sing, I like sing, we're not going to take it are mm-hmm. in full drag. Mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff is about gender nonconformity. And then in the metal scene, pushback against gender nonconformity, right? A lot of yeah. thrash metalheads are into thrash because they are specifically against glam, which is gender mm-hmm. nonconforming. Mm-hmm. So there's a, it's a really complicated scene at the time. And it's really complicated for this moral majority who are framing this as a way that these artists are inherently corrupting your kids and specifically harming your boys you see this in like the case that eddie munson is vaguely based off of is three boys who were metalheads and were like outsiders were framed for the assault and murder of young boys Mm. i didn't know this i didn't know that there was that he's based around a real yeah vaguely based around situation i forget his name but yeah yeah. And went to prison for it. Oh my god. And went to prison for it for many years. Wow. Obviously. Falsely mm-hmm. framed for these kinds of things. And this just like horror around the corruption of youth and like the corruption of these things with these like dark and nonconformist and because sexual 
elements, mm-hmm. which happens in the 2000s, too. Yeah. Because right? children are our future. Because children are our future, and... And we need to be very deliberate about how we're raising them. And this band killed this girl. This band killed a girl. Mm-hmm. She listened to them, and then she killed herself, and they killed her. Mm-hmm. And they've corrupted our kids. There's an emo there moral was... panic. Uh-huh. There is. Absolutely. And... So the reason why there's an emo moral panic and not like a hardcore or a punk moral panic is because the dudes who are in the emo scene are wearing eyeliner and women's pants. Mm-hmm. And there's something wrong with them. There's something. There's this something aggression wrong isn't the aggression that we've come to expect right. from bands. It's not hyper masculine. Yeah. It's very intentionally mm-hmm. feminine. Oh. So you start having that moral panic in the two thousands mm-hmm. too. I mean, it's cla- It's a kind of a. A classic moral panic now. It's also, I'm just thinking now with the Joan connection about, like, a nationalism behind that, too. <laughs> with the 9-11 of it all. Hello, welcome to the <laughs> the corner of the podcast where I talk about 9-11. <laughs> um, <laughs> I gotta slip it in there. The 9-11 of it all, just, like, the, the way that people needed to expect a certain kind of aggression in relation to the nation. Right. In that moment after 9-11. Yeah, hyper-masculinity. Yeah. Uh, and the, specifically for a war effort. Right. That was not legal, if you <laughs> think about how wars are typically approved by Congress, mm-hmm. um, that is still going on today. Right. It's another layer of why that indeterminate masculine-feminine that MCR does is unacceptable. There is a type of patriotic masculinity and a like war-based aggression that is lauded in because the early two thousand. Because in a time of war, you have to set boundaries as to what isn't isn't a presentation of your nation, right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So in uh-huh. during war times, it's like well, men are fighting and they're drafted mm-hmm. to fight. Mm-hmm. And women are doing stuff behind the lines and they're nurses and they're making things. And, like, obviously we know that, like, women are also taking men's jobs and stuff. But that's not the public, that's not the propagandistic, like, element of that. Mm -hmm. Women are helping people and men are fucking killing people. Mm -hmm. It's, like, very binaristic during, like, wartime. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's also why Don't Ask, Don't Tell happened. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Right? It's why trans people in the military is a conflict. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. It's because in order to fight for something, mm-hmm. you have to be... You need a particularly shared idea of what aggression is supposed to look like. Right. And that tripped up Joan of Arc. Yeah. And it also <laughs> trips up our dear boys in my chemical romance. <laughs> it does. Uh, in a major way. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. leads to a moral panic. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, I've got a question for you. Yeah. Do you think anything like that is happening right now? Do we have a contemporary satanic panic? We had it in the early 2000s. We had it in the 80s. Are we due? I mean, I think it's happening, right? Yeah. I mean, I think broadly the moral panic currently is about trans people. Yeah. Just in general. Mm-hmm. We are having I mean, a contemporary moral panic about trans people. It kind of always has been. Right. We just oh, it always has had been. the vocabulary. It always has been. And now it's like... Right. And now that we have the language for it, it's easy to, it's easy to try to like divide yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And destroy them now that we have that kind of language. This is not to say that labels are bad, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. We all know this. Mm-hmm. However. But it is convenient for segmenting people off and as attacking a, them. As a political tool, yeah. you can say every drag queen's a groomer. Mm-hmm. And it's really easy to mm-hmm. cause violence against certain people. I also think in terms of like artists who are being. I think in terms of artists who are being moral majorityed 
it's Lil Nas X. You brought this up when we were talking about it originally. Yeah. And I did not believe you in the beginning, and I thought about it more, and I absolutely do. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. Lil Nas X. I mean, he's a black gay man, and who's outwardly gay. And, like, that combination for people who are mm-hmm. already horrified by both blackness and gayness mm-hmm. is even more horrifying. And because he started out as an artist who was mostly appealing to young kids, right? Mm-hmm. He had fucking... I got the horses in the back. Yeah. What the fuck is that called? Old Town, Old Town Road. Road. <laughs> how, yeah. how much time has transpired between <laughs> I know. No, that? Like, wow. I mean, you started with Old Town Road where it was like kids loved that song. Kids loved that song. He performed for that elementary school. Right. That's a very famous And now video. he's sliding down a stripper pole and grinding on Satan and hell. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. he's corrupting our children because children love children him. Children look up to Children him. look up to him. Uh-huh. And now he's gay. Mm-hmm. How dare he? <laughs> How dare he do that? that. Right? I mean, he's fully experiencing the satanic panic thing Mm -hmm. in a very, and and Mm -hmm. I think he's playing with that intentionally. Absolutely is. He's intentionally driving that on Mm -hmm. with like the imagery that he's using, which I think is fucking awesome. He's intentionally using that in in the Mm -hmm. same way that MCR is, right? Yes. The hell stuff, Mm -hmm. the whatever. He's intentionally using that. Um, yeah, but because he's all also, of that was leveraged against him before the, all before the Call Me By Your Name video, all of that persecution was happening. Yeah. That he's leveraging that against. Right. Yes. That's the only place in music I see it. I think, so in the 80s, thrash metal was pretty popular. Iron Maiden was an extremely popular band. Metallica mm-hmm. was immediately a, like, a charting band. Like, they mm-hmm. were on the top of the rock charts. They were not an unpopular band. They've always been one of the most popular rock bands of all mm-hmm. time, Metallica and Iron Maiden. And they were two of the bands that were like made to testify or whatever. I think that's kind of happening right now in terms of hip hop in mm. certain circles. The fact that like the most popular genre of music now is no longer white pop and is no longer white artists stealing things <laughs> from black from artists. black artists yep. it's just black artists like now that black artists are and we can you know mm-hmm. whatever discuss fetishization and stuff like that mm-hmm. in this as well but like the way that black artists are the ones who are a lot of the times topping charts the most popular genre of music now yeah is rap and hip-hop specifically were things that are like pop genres combined with those yes the christian rights horrified with that they're leveraging the same kinds of critiques at like rappers as they are at yeah right like they're hurting women mm-hmm. and that kind of thing's been going on since they're the 90s, calling women right? bitches yeah how could they do that to women specifically mm-hmm. white women specifically women who are being, now we're on women's side we're on women's side now Poor women right now that we can like make them the victim now that we can make them have no ability to advocate for themselves Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. now that we can just use them leveraging an identity group right now that leveraging one identity group against another yeah now that we can use them Mm -hmm. now that we can use women as a tool yeah for us to just like we use children exactly exactly in the same way yeah yeah that it's it's to protect some figure yeah but really it's to demonize another it is yeah yeah yeah, so I think we see that happening now Absolutely. in terms of that. I think that that was maybe more happening mm-hmm. in the 2010s. I think we've mm. maybe moved past. It's become so popular now that I think at this point, I mean, I think it still is happening in some ways, yeah. whatever. Um, specifically recently with Lil Nas X and stuff like that. But like, I, I mean, I think the real like moral panic about rap music was happening mm-hmm. in the 2010s. Yeah. Like in the early 2010s. And even earlier. Even and earlier, earlier yeah. yeah. Totally. You know, that's been going on for, for, for I mean, a for forever. Decades. For forever, yeah. yeah. I'm also thinking about how 
with contemporary social media and our algorithms, the way that we experience culture is completely different in this moment than it was as early as the 2010s. There was kind of one culture, like one shared popularity that everybody had. They have the billboard charts. There are billboard charts, so everybody knows who Metallica is. Right. Everybody knows who right, which is X, like, y, kinda, like all of these different It's kind of crazy now to think about that, right? Yeah. Like, it would be very, like, if I can name, like, I don't know, a group that I feel like most people know, like 100 Gex. Not everybody knows 100 Gex. Right. But that feels like a staple of popular music to me. Right, totally. And there are so many different like clusters of attention or clusters of culture that there's not what it's impossible like on one level this is good because it's impossible for conservatives to know what is actually going on with like youth culture and people can shape that themselves in a way that's very private but also that people may think that their experience is totalizing when it's not right Um, yeah when it's very very partial right and yeah, it's hard to point to artists today who have that kind of sway in the same way. Yeah, that right? kind of massive. Mm-hmm. Massive popularity. Lil Nas X is a great example of somebody who cuts across, who is so unique and so impactful. Yeah. Who cuts across a lot of different... I mean, Taylor Swift. I have not listened to Taylor Swift since 2010. No, me right? like, no, no, but me either. But like, but as you hear you, about her, just because yeah. you don't listen to her doesn't mean you don't you don't hear about her. I don't hear her. about her. Yep, you're so. I right. hear about her constantly. You're so right. Yeah, people don't shut the fuck up about gay uh-huh. people, straight people. Yeah, do not shut the fuck up because Taylor Swift is consumable enough by a ma- like a really mainstream audience, but also like has things that people can like look into for queer people too, mm-hmm. and it like or like younger audiences and stuff. Like yeah. I, you know, she's consumable in that way. She is. Harry Styles. Is consumable in that massive mainstream mm-hmm. way, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There, is, not, a, there is a conflict. distinction between liking something and knowing what it is. Right. Because, yep. like, they don't have any conflict, yep. you know? Yeah. Like, I think that, like, the artists, like, you're talking about now are, like, I mean, and that's not necessarily true, right? Like, there's, like, a massive mainstream thing. Like, Metallica obviously had conflict leveraged against them. Mm-hmm. They were not... Like, they were very popular, they were extremely popular, but they were not receiving no pushback. Same with, mm-hmm. like, the Sex Pistols. The Sex Pistols topped the charts when they started, yeah. like, being popular. Mm-hmm. Like, with God Save the Queen. But that doesn't mean that people liked them in that way, right? Right, right. But people knew who they were. So, I don't know. I mean, I feel like now, the things that everybody knows are things that are easily consumable and non-controversial. Yeah, they're very sanitized. Or there's someone like Lil Nas X where there's like a big mm-hmm. enough controversy that, that it's that it's mobilized politically right. to expand. Exactly. To, yep. Yeah. Yep. Because because those like edgy artists still exist. Oh my god! Of course. They just don't circulate right. in the way that they used to. Right. Or yeah. Or they only circulate in certain circles. Or they only right? Like in little, like hundred gex like yeah. is hugely popular. Exactly. But only. Within... Like, I'll say, oh, 100 Gex, and people will be like, who the fuck is that? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, I feel like all my, every, uh, every person I know in Gen Z knows who 100 Gex are, right, you know? Right, Yeah. But they don't have the, I don't know, they're doing something so original and unique. Yeah. But that's not what gets you popularity. Correct. And, like, again, non-controversial. Mm-hmm. Adele. It's Ed, it's Ed Sheeran versus Lil Nas. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Anyway, we anyway, really we really got away. We really there. got away there. Satanic panic still happening. Looks different. Yeah, I think is the summary statement. Yeah, it is, and it's yeah. happening just in different ways. Yeah, yeah, in different ways and on different scales all the time. 
So, in conclusion? I guess we conclude, right? I guess we conclude. I guess we can conclude. In conclusion, we are going to get Gerard Way candlelized by the Catholic Church. <laughs> in conclusion, poke poke. <laughs> hey, have you considered that this guy says he's been touched by God? Have Isn't you considered maybe cool? they're right? To step back and <laughs> from my ridiculous hyperbole, yeah. Gerard doesn't want that. No, absolutely not. And we they talk about how much they don't want that. And that that kind of canonization is exactly, has this ridiculous connection to exactly what they're experiencing as a rock star. Right. You're worshipped and you're killed. You're worshipped and you're killed. And you're meant to fight for a cause. Yeah. You believe in something so strongly and it's mobilized Mm -hmm. by forces outside of your control. Right. And I think that, like, especially in terms of, like, nonconformity and gender nonconformity, Gerard talks about the point when they were on stage and they're like, you want to be a, you like to be a statistic? Mm Mm-hmm. Do you like to be a statistic? No, you fucking don't. Yeah. Do you like people to consume you and Mm -hmm. eat you and be able to use things against you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's just what they represent in terms of, like, in terms of being a gender nonconforming artist, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Gerard is clearly, visibly a gender nonconforming artist and also clearly, visibly, consciously, and constantly refuses to be defined in a way that can be politicized against yes. them because they've already yes. been politicized, right? Mm-hmm. Those things have already been politicized. Mm-hmm. And to define them makes them be used for a fight that you're not sure what that fight is sometimes. Absolutely. And I guess to I to identify as trans in the this contemporary moment as someone with a platform like that, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. But I would make sure the people who know, know. And he does. And he does. Wow. Well, I love this band. <laughs> so in conclusion. So in conclusion. We love this band. What a good band. <laughs> what a good band. Um, they're yeah. just the, they're the gift that keeps on giving. They are. <laughs> and I, you know what? I so appreciate that they, they give us these signals. They give us these little puzzles. I don't know. I mean, they, I don't want to be like, I am trying to solve Gerard Way or I'm trying to <laughs> no, solve I mean, the intentional riddle of my chemical romance. That's not it at all. But, but like, no, Gerard I'm and reading Michael, the yeah. text. Gerard and my chemical romance have consistently centered trans, queer, gender struggles in the purpose of the band Mm -hmm. whether or not people identify as certain things is almost irrelevant Mm -hmm. because that is the struggle that they have centered in what they're doing Mm -hmm. it's about action it's about action it's about action it's not about writing like it's not about like putting labels on yourself it's not about identifying with a certain group or not right it's about action it's about what you do yeah and they do things. They do. This band does things. <laughs> Let me tell you, they're doing stuff. They're doing some stuff. They're out there doing yeah. some stuff. Yeah. And they have been for mm-hmm. so long. For so long. All of these costumes, but specifically Joan, Joan ties it back around, right? Mm-hmm. Joan is the little bow at the yeah. end of it to say like that that mission is continuing mm-hmm. in a way. That that's still the purpose of this band. It always has been. Mm-hmm. And that in this new era... It still can be. Yeah, I don't know. There's this quote that I wrote down here that, like, Joan has been used as... She's been portrayed as a saint, a heretic, religious zealot, seer, demented teenager, proto-feminist, aristocratic, wannabe, savior of France, person who turned the tide of the Hundred Years' War, and even Marxist liberator. And, like, I'm thinking about how, like, as a figure and as a figure in in pop culture, I don't know, I guess you're used in that way. And how that's part of the statement, right? But also how Joan has been used 
specifically by trans people, I think, recently, mm-hmm. as a figure of power and of reclamation. Yeah, you burned me at the stake, but, like, I have a legacy now that maybe I can make my own in some way. Yeah. Or people can see in a more intentional way. Mm-hmm. Or the right people can see. I think of it as, like, we've always been here. You just haven't known how to read us. Yeah, great. And you keep reading us wrong. Exactly. But I can read us right. And I see what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that's like the kind of historical identification that's going on with with trans people in Joan right now. And it's always been happening, Mm -hmm. right? Like Leslie Feinberg has written about Joan. Mm, I want to read that. Yeah. So we see each other. We see each other. Across hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. We see each other. And I hope there's enough like degrees of like recognizing the difference in that too. Like not just the like, I don't know, Joan... Joan had a wildly different life experience. Right, right. Like, we have this thing in common. Right. But we also have so much difference, and I want to know them for that, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I don't know. I think for Gerard, Joan is a a figure, just a figure, is a figure, is a figure that means a lot of things that they have continued to preach, quote-unquote preach, or... Mm -hmm connect to in the same in the same way yeah. or in a similar way and then i think what i was getting at with that was that it's not just the gender experience no it's not that matters right it's the persecution it's the being out of control of your narrative for 600 years like that all matters to gerard too it's right. all of those things together yeah i mean plausible. she has this like mythos behind her for sure yeah totally it makes me think of like people like talking about um snakes for hair medusa yeah <laughs> You know, snake, all snakes for hair. <laughs> you know, little, little snakes for hair. Um, but, like, actually, though, like, reclamation of the figure of Medusa. Mm-hmm. Medusa's a villain, but she's been assaulted and, like, isolated mm-hmm. and, like, turned into a horror. A villain. A villain. She's been turned into a villain. And how, like, I don't know, especially, like, sexual assault survivors today and, like, queer people and women today will look at Medusa and be like, yeah, that's me. I think a similar thing is happening and has been happening for many, many years with people who look at Joan and see a tragic figure and say, that's me. That's what's mm-hmm. been done to me. Mm-hmm. That's what has happened to me that I have had control over and also have not had control over. It's a way of reclaiming control. Let's wrap it up. Do we need an in-conclusion statement? I feel like we've made those. Just, how are you doing? <laughs> I just feel like My Chemical Romance is the band of all time. My God. Every time we do a podcast episode, I feel this way, obviously, but... I don't know. I think about, I'm thinking about Foundations of Decay right now Mm -hmm. and seeing them perform Foundations of Decay and the way that they opened every show on the tour with that. Mm -hmm. And how part of that is about your convictions being a passing phase and about how like their convictions haven't changed, like a continuity or a constant and how so much of what we're talking about right now has been something that people have connected to for hundreds thousands of years yeah this like constant presence of this like connection to i mean connection to some kind of higher power connection to like a martyrdom uh whatever so much of that is eaten and coughed back up by like current current media cultures in whatever time these artists are performing in but how much of like youth culture or like certain things are formed around these things and how constant it is right mm-hmm. like i just feel like there's such a constant theme here of yeah. like the 80s and the 2000s but like between then too right mm-hmm. any kind of non-conformity or or change i don't know 
I just think, like, on the massive scale that it happens. Right. On, that that's unprecedented in a way. When Joan of Arc was doing her thing, <laughs> that only mattered for a very small handful of people. Right! Only a couple of people fucking, you know, a only couple hundred people saw that. A couple hundred people saw that. And it has been made to matter by the Catholic Church hundreds of years later on a massive scale. Right. And that continues to circulate and get bigger and bigger today. Yeah. That also allows people to contextualize and historicize in new ways. And yeah. That's meaningful. Yeah. And how we're doing that for MC or now. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How we're doing that for bands and artists and figures now. I don't have a conclusion statement, but I remembered something that I wanted to say at the beginning. Great. Which is that we went to Turnstile. <laughs> and it was fun. <laughs> We had a really good time oh at the Turnstile show. We had a great time at the Turnstile show. We, okay, we got in the habit of winning My Chemical Romance. We camped all day. <laughs> we stood in line. We go to a show and we don't know what to do with ourselves. We don't know, what it, we don't know how to be normal at shows We're anymore. like, do we need to get so close? Yeah. And then it's like, actually, no, we can just chill the Actually, no, that would be terrible. Out. What if we kind of stood to the side? Right, and it was when, great. It was so nice. We met very nice people. Everyone was so nice at the Turnstile show. We were afraid originally that that would not be the case and that we would get kicked in the teeth and um, it would be very bad. Yeah. However, it was lovely. Everyone it was, was lovely. Kind. I got in the pit for a song. It was wonderful. Yeah. And um, you met an Eddie Munson lookalike who stole your was. Oh my God, I was obsessed <laughs> with him. He was, there was just this like older, like probably 50 year old guy, long hair, like literally looks like Eddie Munson. Literally looks like he Eddie looks Munson. He looks like Eddie Munson. Eddie Munson aged up, looked like him. Got in the pit for a couple songs. Was stoked about it. Was, was standing, so happy. Was standing behind me and like bumped me. Like he was on like a le- like a kind of like a, a step up from me basically, and like bumped me in the head with a drink. And mm-hmm. we like held hands. I like looked up and his hand was there, and he kind of like flexed his hand as if he was waving at me from above, mm-hmm. being like sorry. And I like reached up and <laughs> grabbed his hand, and we just like held hands and grinned at each other for a little moment. And that was it. It was very sweet. It was, I literally, I, I think about, I've been thinking about it since it happened. I just thought it was so sweet. I love live music. I think we're going to do a, we'll do our affect episode, which was supposed to be this one, but we want to talk talk about the affect of live music, but God going to see live music and everyone who has seen MCR knows this, but Mm -hmm. especially if you're in the pit, especially if you are around other people who are actively moving and Mm -hmm. jostling and touching you, like it's so visceral and beautiful. And I love to see live Mm -hmm. music. Anyway, turnstile. Excellent. So good. Go see him. Oh my God. They were so good. Fuck. We got to go see him again. Mm -hmm. I was feeling very anxious. So I did not get in the pit that night. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had, I do wish I had. Um, so I'm ready to go again. We I'm ready just to gotta go see get it again. Let's go to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> well, not to Australia, probably. Okay, we'll do. <laughs> we'll see. Maybe we'll get rich in the next month or Maybe. so. Maybe. That hey. would be nice. Hey, if anyone has any tips. To get for rich. money. To get to Australia. <laughs> yeah. Let us know. Yeah. That's been our podcast. That's been it. Um, where do you find us? You can find us at honeythispodcast.tumblr.com. That's a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also follow us on Honey This Podcast um, on Instagram. We have a Twitter technically, but don't follow us there. Don't even don't even open Twitter. Don't open it. Delete your Twitter. Delete your Twitter now. Yeah. Um, in fact, we should delete ours. We should delete <laughs> ours. Follow our lead. Delete yeah. your Twitter. Delete delete your fucking Twitter. Um, I'm thinking of starting a TikTok account. Do it. I might do it. You should you do can, it. I'll let you. I'll let you guys know if if I do it. Yeah. So there. I guess you can email us if you want. You can, at, you can email us. At honeythispodcast yeah. at gmail.com. And you can follow me at tasteofchaos2005.tumblr.com. 
And you can follow me at boy-zone.tumblr.com. Excellent. That's us. We'll be back soon with another episode. We gotta do this affect episode. We gotta do this. We have it We're fully scared of it. Out. It's so intense. You gotta stick with us. Affect, it's a little woo-woo. It's woo-woo. It's gonna be wacky, but man. It's gonna be wacky, but I think you'll like it. Yeah. I think we'll all like it. There's I think we'll get something from it. So, anyway. Thanks for listening. What a pleasure it is to make this podcast. I love this. I love this. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I love you. This is so I love you. Do. It's Aww. such a joy. Um, and we love doing it. Mm-hmm. So, we'll keep at it. Yeah. See you soon. Hope you guys will keep listening. Okay. Okay. Bye. (laughs) I'm marching. I'm marching (laughs) into hell. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, the podcast. (laughs) Flumpy's coming with. Oh, Flumpy. We never asked Flumpy what (gasps) what he thinks about Joan of Arc. I think (laughs) the chainmail's pretty sick. (laughs) Thank you, Flumpy. (laughs) All right, Jesus Christ. Bye.